What's good, everybody, and welcome to Body Bag Podcast. I'm Chris Thomas, and with me, as always, Broke Writer Dave. How are we doing, everybody? Uh, joining us today, we are not alone. He is the author of Virgin Night and My Zombie Sweetheart, as well as Cotton Candy Massacre, which will be a prize in our upcoming giveaway. He might not be Deadpool, but he has been called the Ryan Reynolds of indie horror. Thank you for coming on Body Bag Podcast, Christopher Robertson. <laughs> Thanks for, for having me. Um, that was someone taking a piss out of me, making fun of me. Oh, crap, I swore in like the first two seconds. Oh, no, it's fine. You, yeah. you, you can curse, curse all you want. Yeah. You can curse all you want. It's fine. Which <laughs> yeah. is funny. You're not the first person we've had on the show to ask is it okay to cuss or anything like that it's like the yeah. first question that they all ask yeah <laughs> is, is, is it not usually like a no not in the first 30 seconds rule for, for oh, some we, place? We're, we're not we're, we're, we're not, not on, on youtube so we're, we're not good. on youtube or anything like that yeah. so <laughs> this is on apple spotify all yeah. the streaming ones like that so yeah you don't have to worry you can cuss yeah we yeah. we mark all episodes have been cursing in it so we're good <laughs> he said you said that was somebody joking yeah it was uh I don't know. It was a it was an ask me anything I did at one point, and as someone, um, some some good friend of mine, I did a answer question: How come you're so cute? And I I put a Ryan Reynolds meme back saying you're cute, and he's like, of course you would be the Ryan Reynolds of indie horror. So uh, I've not <laughs> nice. let him forget it since then. And I, I got the other because I have the little blurb right here has been called the Ryan Reynolds of indie horror and some Scottish Doctor Frankenstein. Yeah, that was also someone else taking the piss. But you can't take the piss out of me. I'll just, I'll just put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> I, I, I like that. People like Ryan Reynolds. I, yeah. I, I didn't know what to make. I don't know what that would mean, though. Ryan Reynolds of indie, all right, yeah. of indie horror. That... I think someone else said it's because you're very annoying but oddly likable. <laughs> so, we, before you uh, hopped on, me and Dave were actually admiring some of the titles and some of the. I was admiring some of the artwork of your uh, some of your uh, books over here, specifically My Zombie Sweetheart. Which, to me, I kept telling Dave, this just sounds like an awesome name for a garage metal band, My Zombie Sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Dave actually has a couple of questions for you because he's uh, read a couple of your books, so uh, I'm gonna throw it to Dave real quick. Yeah. So I just kind of want to get this started and. Uh play a little game of uh three words or less so i'm gonna throw out a title of one of your books and you have to try to describe it in like three words or less okay it's gonna be fun all right the october society 90s spooky kids okay mm-hmm. chris's favorite my zombie sweetheart yeah um wholesome gruesome kitsch okay okay <laughs> cotton candy massacre i want to say something that's uh it's only relevant to the book with tasty, tasty bananas. Tasty, tasty bananas. If that that, that that's, comes up, that's I the, need uh, to read this book now. That's the review blurb. Tasty, tasty bananas. So says yeah. Christopher Robertson about Cotton Candy Massacre. All right, uh, laser lizards. Press. Oh, not four words. Uh, ready player one. All right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And Virgin Knight. Kids aren't all right. That's very true. <laughs> I like that. All right, so Dave, you were telling me earlier were the ones that you read. So far, I read uh, Virgin Night, and then I read uh, Laser Lizards and Brotherly Love, which is in the uh, Sacrament anthology, edited by a friend of the show, Jamie Stewart. Oh, that was actually Jamie that said the Ryan Reynolds line. Oh, for was real? It? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to. Add, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to talk to him about that when, <laughs> when next time, time we have him on. on. Yeah, he's been on here a bunch, so yeah. 
we're, we're making our way through the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost uh, trilogy of Edgar Wright movies. <laughs> one more down, one more to go. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's one other book I don't think that we've uh, mentioned, and that's the if you if you read Cotton Candy Massacre and you want more, there's also Goons in Grease Paint, a short story prequel to the Cotton Candy Massacre. Yeah, that was just like a five thousand word short story about a month before Cotton Candy Massacre came out. It's a little taster and I like a, like a little promo piece for it. Yeah. I got the little blurb right here it was all fun and games till monroe and bailey thought they could rip off notorious carny crime lord bonko the clown that's the intro sentence in i'm already invested just just by carny crime lord bonko the clown sold me right then and there uh, they're about to find out what happens when you clown around with the devil himself and that's the toot toot and truth i love that I don't, I, I, yeah. I, it just sounds ridiculous like i'm not fun. one for salty uh, <laughs> there's no subtext in this this is a killer this is a killer crime boss named bonko there's an underlying like message to the cotton candy massacre that's kind of there but for the most part it's just fun and gory and gory fun yeah i've noticed that's that's where your books are they're just they're really fun yeah the for, for me, being fun and entertaining is like the first priority. Yeah. And and if I manage to make a point along the way, then I call it a win. There you go. Like that, that happens yeah. more by accident than intention. <laughs> so what's fun for you? What what gets your creative juices flowing that will spark, you know, life into stuff like that, that these wild titles and you know, wild premises? Uh, I think I'm a, I'm a huge horror movie nerd. And I kind of have this idea where I want to write a book that's like every kind of horror movie I've ever liked or wanted to like or wish there was. Okay. Okay. So I wish there was more crazy clown movies like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So I wanted to write one on my own. I wish there was like a 1950s B-movie with Romero-esque zombies. It's like it's like yeah. a movie nerd's handbook of yeah. like like uh, of of just thoughts that ra- ra- uh, movie nerds would have like stuff that we all probably just kind of yeah. like think to ourselves. You know what? That's the title. You know what would be cool? <laughs> and then yeah. just this premise. Yeah, like they never let me be on Are You Afraid of the Dark as a kid, even though I sent in my audition papers and everything. So I wrote the October Society. Oh, that would have been that. That would have been a, a, an awesome experience to be part of the Midnight Society. So you made the October yeah, Society. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like half a country. I'm half the world away, and everything like that it was a pipe dream as a kid. But yeah, I mean, I think that I think every yeah. horror horror fan like started. Well, it, I was. A I kid. think horror fans our age yeah. all kind of started with "Are you afraid of the dark?" Yeah, I was like not even in my teens when that came out. So yeah, yeah, I was like I want to say like five or six. When it came so, out on Nick, yeah. It was a little more ha- harder to get hold of it in Scotland because you, you had to have satellite TV, which like cable. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was only something like the rich kids could have. And I, I wasn't yeah. a rich kid. Mm-hmm. So there was a rich kid in our school, though, and he would sell us like bootlegs of him VHS tapes of stuff he taped off Nickelodeon. Oh, so your like, school had, had a, a real good business model going. Yeah, a black market of Nickelodeon videos. He would basically just leave the tape going up for the night and then sell it the next day. So you would get like a mix of whatever he taped. If you if you wanted specific things that cost extra. <laughs> he was probably making bank off that event. <laughs> but so you say you're a horror movie nerd. So uh, you'd say like horror movies in general get the creative juices flowing? Yeah, or, or and just completely random thoughts or even a dare. 
or mm. even the the desire to um wind someone up like uh, when i first met my partner i kind of tormented her with the idea that i was going to write a killer clown book just to scare her <laughs> she hates clowns she's terrified of clowns yeah. and she thought it was joking and then i went and wrote the cotton candy massacre <laughs> no, I, no uh, I am deadly serious <laughs> yeah that, that's who is dedicated to it starts like she gets bored about it yeah yeah i was mean, dressed up as a clown to promote the book when it came out and everything and she she's oddly compelled by the, the clown world that she she likes listening to the ideas for it and she is very engaged and involved with the, the book but uh she just doesn't want to see the pictures of the clown or the artwork or whatever the real sully the clown pops up she's yeah. like oh she's nice but uh you, you talk to her <laughs> the more the more i'm learning of, about chris here the more uh his pick of popcorn makes a little bit more sense of him picking that movie um <laughs> oh that movie is pure me that that's so cheesy so bad and so much fun oh we'll yeah we'll, we'll get to it <laughs> but yeah. i i I wholeheartedly agree. I had to watch it a second time because I had seen it a couple of months ago and it was going to make it into my pick for this season of bad movies. But luckily, uh, you picked it for me. So that's cool. Yeah, to do it anyway. <laughs> All right, uh, Dave, you got some more questions over there? Yeah. yeah, I noticed with like your books, you like to put out like uh, photos of like all the characters. And I think that's something that I wish more authors would do. So like, what's the process behind doing that or the inspiration of that? Uh, I think I'm a very visual person. If I had to say it goes back to when video games used to have manuals and stuff, and you'd sit on like the train home or something, reading up on like how to do, reuse special moves and stuff. Like I loved all the supplementary uh, materials. Yeah, you're bringing, you're bringing me yeah. back. You're bringing me back. <laughs> yeah, so I like an old memories. Yeah, so some artwork has been done. Like so, the October Society, like the additional artwork and the character artwork was done by the artist who did the cover for the cotton candy massacre that's uh, matt taylor okay he's on instagram as the shrimp shack slasher he's really cool those are his really cool portraits okay well, um, reach out to him yeah his, his horror art is so cool he's got this really distinctive style and he's such a you can see the love for horror so i reached out to yeah. him right away and said would you be interested in doing this book cover i've got this idea and you you really nail the retro horror aesthetics i wanted for the cover nice did yeah, you give so, him complete creative freedom to do what he wanted to draw? Uh, I wanted to have the character of Sully, the clown, on the cover of the Cotton Candy Massacre because she's a real person. Mm-hmm. It was I was a fan of her like makeup work and her character work, and I reached out to her and asked her, would it be cool if uh, I based the character like on her clown for the book? And she, she was really into it. And the character ended up becoming such a big part of the story. Like originally, it was just like a side character, but then she sort of just like had a lot more story to tell, and it just unfolded that she was so more integral to the book than and envisioned. Is like often yeah. what happens when I start writing books. I'm like, this is the main character, and then no, they're not. Yeah, it's it's funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wanted her on the cover, but the only sort of guidance I gave was I was a big fan of like cover art from movies like Return of the Living Dead Part Two or or Fright Night. I uh, love those oh, old, yeah. old old movie posters. Yeah. yeah. You've got the the menacing thing above what's going and and the location down below. Yeah. So that that was pretty much it. And uh yeah, he, he's he's done it there. He did a good port a really good portrait of Sully and sort of marked the really good color choices and layout and everything. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm I, I was uh, looking at some of the cover art for some of these things and they do have like an old t- kind of feel in the good way. Like a, a retro, I guess, would be the word to use. Horror kind of unlocks those uh, nostalgic memories. Yeah, I'm pretty much everything I write is weaponized nostalgia. Yeah, 
I don't think I. I think I the furthest I've, I've planned on writing a story is like early two thousands sci fi cheesiness. Is like as far as I think I'll go until yeah. I get really old, maybe, and then twenty twenties become retro. <laughs> yeah. I I am going to use that term to describe movies from now. Weaponized nostalgia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to use that to describe movies from now on. I mean, it works because uh, when I was reading uh, Laser Lizard, it kind of unlocked a, like a nostalgic memory of watching Starship Troopers with my dad when I was younger. And I haven't thought of that movie for years. So I was wondering if that movie was kind of like the inspiration for this book. There was like a lot of inspirations for that one. Like one of the weirdest ones, it's like a deep cut, is the really bad 90s Double Dragon movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Because it's that's so cheesy, that's so ridiculous, and it's just... Yeah, I loved how like early, like late eighties, early nineties, apocalyptic science fiction just depicted been made like early two thousands as nuclear wastelands. Yeah, yeah, like there could there could be no other option for humanity. We are going to blow ourselves up. Yeah, like like Skynet yeah. was going to launch, and we were going to be fighting Terminators, and <laughs> there was going to be rubble everywhere, and everyone would have like really cool hair. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a uh, the future is significantly more boring. Yeah. yeah, and Skynet's just Alexa, and you know. We, well, we, Sky we get, Skynet's actually happening. Right. Yeah, let's, let's it's be on its way. Yeah. It's on its way. We all we all know this though. Skynet... I for one welcome our robot overlords. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But Laser Lizard, it's a little. It was short, but it was such a fun thing to read. And I noticed one of the characters, Silver, kind of fed back and seemed like she was from the town from Virgin Night. Yeah, maybe so related I... to one of the characters, Jade. So everything in the main all my main books are interconnected okay so it all takes place in like a shared cinematic universe um laser lizards is where i decided i was going to get really meta with it and laser lizards is an alternative universe okay (laughs) so laser lizards exists within the mainline universe as a cartoon and video game all right so um if you've read virgin uh, silver is actually caitlin is it caitlin okay yeah, but what if she wasn't evil? Like, yeah, if something happened to put her on a better path in life, and could that 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 raw determination and that I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna succeed no matter what attitude. I hope that was actually applied in a positive way. Yeah, now I see it. Like I first I thought it was Jade just due to the fact that you know she was good at arcade games and you had Jade from the arcade in Virgin Night. But now that you point out, okay, yeah, it's def- uh, I definitely see that it's Caitlyn. Right, here, here's a quick question, if I may. Um, unless I'm derailing. <laughs> no, you're good. Him being a self-proclaimed movie nerd, I think that you had asked a, a question like this on our previous one, Dave. But who would you, who could you see if one of your books or, or projects made it to Hollywood? Who could you see directing, or who would you want to see direct one of your film pro or one of your book projects into film? So if it was Cotton Candy. Damien Leone or Rob Zombie. Okay. Um, uh, there's a couple of reviews for Cotton Candy Massacre that basically call it a Rob Zombie movie script. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because it's, it's kind of intentional because I wanted it to be scuzzy. Like his movies are very scuzzy. Yeah. And Damien Leone is, is pretty big right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he would nail the gore. Cause Cotton Candy is over the top gore. Yeah, I still need to watch Terrifier too. Which if you're... The first one was yeah. super gory. Well, when Terrifier 2 came out, it kind of cemented the fact that uh, Terrifier has a huge following, a growing following. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think it, I think it made like five million over the course of like like a week or two or something like that. Do they have to be alive? No, I'll no. say no. 
Yeah. Because Zombie Sweetheart, I would love. Well, I would love a William Castle production. Ah, okay. Yeah. We, right, we, we, know, we know William Castle. We like William Castle here on the show. Yeah, we reviewed a couple Castle movies so far. I uh, need to do some more though. Old black and white film, Com- complete with the gimmicks, like like the tingler. You know, complete with looking at the audience and and interacting with them. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know how you would do that with that book, but maybe there'd be oh, there has to be a way. Yeah. I know I could release a bunch of ants in the theater. <laughs> That's you just leave it to William Castle; he'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to go to a gimmick theater show just once. I feel like that'd be so much fun. What about um, October Society? Oh, I don't know about that one. That's more of a TV show. Okay, that'll yeah. be a, that'll be the direct to Netflix. Uh, the next, uh, the next Netflix series. Yeah. <laughs> That's 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 structured more like a TV show, so that would like yeah. be. And that was my little derailment of Dave's actual <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, I was a big fan of Virgin Night when I read it. It's probably one of the best books I've read in the past couple of years, oh, just because it it captured what I love about horror, like that '90s slasher vibe, and it like it does it almost perfectly. So, what were the uh, slasher movies that kind of inspired Virgin Night? So the obvious one is the the big boy scream, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the, movie, yeah. <laughs> the the sort of conception for it was, oh, what if scream but with American Pie? <laughs> okay, there you go. Well, we've so compared that, it. We've kind of compared it, or we, uh, yeah, because it came out in '96, I think. American Pie, scream and American Pie both came out, yeah, around the same time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing both fairly at the same time. So my sister. Uh, I was too young to see them in the cinema or anything, so my sister yeah. got the VHSs and would like well, let me sit and watch them. I can remember watching like both back to back, but she would make such a she'd be like such an embarrassing big sister about it. She'd be like, "Oh, I know there's naked bits in American Pie, so I'll leave you alone to watch it." And there's a sock <laughs> if you want it. <laughs> like you'll know what to do if you don't know what to do. The start of the film tells you. Like, and then she would like try and burst into the room when it was ever at like the nudity bits because uh-huh. she didn't expect something. I'm just sitting here like sorry to disappoint you but no <laughs> that's pretty hilarious but yeah. yeah like i do remember that i had to see both those films for the first time at around the same time period in my life because i yeah i was probably like eight or nine when i saw both those for the first time but there's a there's like a bunch of movies that inspired parts of it that aren't necessarily yeah. horror like the like mall rats M- mall rats is a big inspiration in a lot of things like the the slack off, the slacker nature of the characters in the start of the first half of Virgin Night was definitely yeah. that Mallrats vibe. But the relationship between the two leads of Mallrats is what I wanted for the two guys in the Cotton Candy Massacre to the point where I sort of started off with them on the same trajectory of they've both been dumped. And instead of going to the mall to try and win their girlfriends back, they're going to the, this carnival and they know they're going to be at instead of dealing with an overzealous security guard. And um, career focused Michael Roker is cannibalistic killer clowns. We we need to have all of our guests do this and put their stories in language I can understand, which is it's like Mallrats and give me the cast. And that way I can build a picture in my mind. We need to have all of our guests do it that way. Yeah. Because <laughs> now I'm building the story in my mind. I can see this. Yeah, but no, I also want to go watch Mallrats because I haven't seen that movie for at least in like 10 plus years. I'm looking at the cover for Virgin Night, and for some reason, just the bloody like bits of the cover makes me think of Maniac. That's the vibe I'm getting just by looking at the front of the cover. So the cover artist for Virgin Night is the same as the October Society books, uh, and that's my 
friend Derek Eubanks, and he's on Instagram as Horror Junkie, and it's the it's the the date for like the Halloween movie, but I always forget it. Um, he's like a graphic designer, a movie critic mm-hmm. guy. He's he's a really talented graphic design. So he did uh the two he did October Society first and Virgin Night. He had a very like loose idea. Said let let let's rip off Scream, but not enough that I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Just enough that they can't sue. Yeah, yeah. So we went. We like this sort of um, screen poster they had, where it was like just the the entire poster was made up of the word "scream," and within every letter was a character. I didn't notice that until upon second glance. I just thought it was a bloody title, and then I had to look close. And go, oh, those are actual scenes. Yeah. yeah. So we we did something similar to that, and that was kind of common as well. For like, there's quite a few '90s movies that did that, where like they like to put the characters within the word. It's yeah. cool. It's a cool look. But. uh is there like a certain actual town that uh, Cherry Lake is based on, or what's the process of coming up with the uh, town for Virgin Night? Um, it got mentioned in my Zombie Sweetheart, and I had to stick with the name, and it kind of came from there. It kind of fits with the title of the book and the theme that, like, the whole that like sex is quite a prominent theme in the book, and I thought it just yeah. made sense. It was called Cherry Lake. It's, it's a it's a flip on the slasher tropes where it's like. Uh, it's more. It's, it's taken this sort of slasher trope literally, where you'd say like characters who have sex yeah. get killed. Like in yeah. Cherry Lake, it's like the literal law of the land. Like it's not even like a rumor or urban legend. It's people know for a fact that you uh, bang on Virgin Night and uh, someone's coming to get you. I like that. That's pretty yeah. cool. Like horror tropes, but they're actual law. Like, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a cool concept. Yeah, I, I didn't want to waste time with like, oh, is it really happening? Is it not really happening? Stuff like I just wanted to ro- drop into it. Like, yeah, this is that they're dealing with, and because all these books take place in the same shared universe, like there's there's mm-hmm. characters that go back and forth between each book, like minor characters or events that are referenced. So like yeah. uh, the character of Walker, yeah, who gives Casey a ride to Cherry Lake at the start of the book. He's in every book. Okay. He's he's the he's the cyborg breaker in Laser Lizards. Okay. He's uh he's a, he's a much younger man in Zombie Sweetheart because it's in the 1950s okay. and f- fending off zombies in a blink and you'll miss it scene. And he has a much more prominent part in the Cotton Candy Massacre books. And he's the feature character in the prologue chapter of the first book. And he might uh he might be appearing again in subsequent ones. Okay. Which, yeah, that's awesome that everything's connecting. Now I feel like I have to go out and read the rest of your books. Yeah, I've, I've got a very fortunate. I've got a good friend who uh, keeps track of this for me because I sometimes forget where people should be. And he's like, you do know that he couldn't be here at this point because of this. <laughs> when, when, you, when you're making or when you're coming up with an idea for a story now that you have this uh, big uh, shared universe, do you think first, how is this going to connect to the other stories or is that – more like on the back end like i want to get the i want to tell the story first and then i'll figure out how it ties into the other stuff uh it's organic and it's in the it sort of develops over time it's definitely on the back end Mm -hmm. so like after zombie sweetheart i did one episode in the october society is set at the same drive-in that the sort of zone one of the zombie attacks happened in but like years later and dealing with the ghosts of what happened on that night and in that story i just kind of wrapped up what maybe happened to some characters after zombie sweetheart i know mm. that's become part of like a running lore of all my books so like they reference a certain comic book character like that was created by one of the characters in zombie sweetheart mm. and over time i've grown that into like a little franchise that exists within this world so originally it's just mentioned as a comic book and then in subsequent books like in virgin night there's an arcade cabinet based on the character 
and then there's like a trailer for the movie and a, another book. So it's nice. it's little it's just little things I'll add over time. I was like, oh, that'd be cool if I could do that. It helps the October Society Books Act as a really good bridge between the other books because I can because they're a TV show and it's got like a, a fake adverts that are part of the narrative. I can link things that way and tease things that way. And very often in the October Society books, I'll pop in a mention for something that's not maybe coming out for a year or so. So the the church in Cherry Lake, you know, the church on the lake, yeah. there was an advert for that in the first October Society book before I'd even announced Virgin Night. Oh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, I'll have to go back and read those. Do you drop... When we had Haley on, she always makes sure to put in like Beatles references and a lot of her things. Do you put in like a lot of horror, like movie, like references that like nerds would be like, oh, that's a little nod to that's uh, to George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Or do you put, a, do you sprinkle those throughout any of your stories? Yeah, quote, quite a lot. Um, sometimes in dialogue, people will say things that are either movie quotes you know, like or paraphrase quotes. Or like the, the one that gets uh, flagged, I've been messaged a few times is in My Zombie Sweetheart, when the science teacher is discussing brain controlling parasites. And the science teacher says that there's no way they could make jump to humans though. And the main character is asking, is it possible? I went, no, there's no way. Because if they did, that would be the last of us. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> You take a minute to to look at your audience in the eye and say, "You got that." <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's there's slightly more like hidden ones. Like there's a bit where a car gets run off the road in Zombie Sweetheart, and the look at the driver and say that meaning it's going to ram us is lifted from the Resident Evil Two introduction mm. cutscene where um, Leon and Claire are in the car, the truck just puts them up at the start. Oh, like yeah, it yeah. could it could it could be many other things, but in my specifically that one for me and my. Uh, yeah. My chapter titles are often referencing other movies or referencing things like in Cotton Candy Massacre. There's a chapter title called uh, "The House of a Thousand Giggles." Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I oh, love no, just sticking with the yeah. clown, sticking just with the clown theme, <laughs> even into yeah. the, the title. And uh, Virgin Night, there's you put a lot of work into uh, like the tree face lord, everything that went into that. So, what was your process of coming up with this character? Uh, I make things up as I go along, and then hope they make sense. And then there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of pruning at the end. Virgin Night had a way more out there ending originally. Until like one of uh, my beta readers was like reading it, and she was like with the book up to that point. And was like, no, this is too far because it got like all really super cosmic. Kind of want to know what this alternate ending is now. Yeah, it, it, the story remained the same, but yeah. there was like more of an explanation for the evil behind tree face and what was going on okay so oh i didn't actually remove it as so much as i just scaled it back to what's only there as a little hint because Mm -hmm. i had another beta reader that didn't want me to take it out so and i was like i agreed with both because i did feel like i was putting too much because it was like a genre flip too close to the end and i wanted to keep it keep it within the slasher realm but acknowledge that there's more going on than just the slasher stuff so when you're in the process of uh, coming up with characters for your books, do you like base them off like people from like movies or games, or do you like base them off people you actually know in real life? There's been occasions where they're based on real people, so so some like some like some society so clowns, a real person. Yeah. Um, the someone uh, someone I did a competition and someone won like a, a starring death role in the Cotton Candy Massacre. Yeah. So uh, they were 
not much so much based on their personality but their appearance and everything they were putting because it was a small part it was just a you're, you're going in to get killed type thing okay. um i have a weird thing where like i wrote the character of casey in virgin knight and then I met a real Casey who's so similar to the character. Like that we're actually together now. Like it was like yeah. she keeps joking that I just invented myself a girlfriend. <laughs> Pretty wild to actually write out a character and then meet someone just like it. Yeah. There's those certain differences yeah. if you write the book. There's those certain things about her that can't possibly be the same. But um Yeah. But then I've done really dumb things like the character of Candy and the Cotton Candy Massacre is named after my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Like we have, a, we have a brand of fridge in the UK called Candy. I don't know if you guys are over there, but like I was uh, single at the time, and I just shared like a, an Instagram thing of like, "This is Candy. She's my new girlfriend. Isn't she cool?" And then I, was, like, I need to name my fridge. I was a have, character in my book. I don't think we have candy brand fridges out here. I have no idea what brand mine is. <sighs> but to kind of help transition it into the movie. If all your books became movies and was entered into like a film festival, which one do you think would win like best film? I, I um, think I would have I'd have audience like walkouts from Cotton Candy. I, I think like I would probably get like a like a bunch of one star movie reviews from critics for like the crude humor in Virgin Night. But you would get high scores on the audience score. <laughs> yeah. You would have a devoted following. Yeah. yeah. You'd have cult followings for each film. You'll have people like, showing up to the uh, to the premieres and clown makeup and whatnot. I, I think maybe Zombie Sweetheart's actually got the one that's got the most. See, all, all my books are, are are fun on the surface, but there's yeah. there's dark horror in there, but there's dark societal stuff in there as well. Like Zombie Sweetheart is a 1950s set story that doesn't completely shy away from the like racial realities of what it was like for black people in the 1950s. The main mm-hmm. character, yeah. one of the two main characters in that, is black, and the the book deals with like things like miscegenation laws and like what it was like just as schools were mixing and things like that and like societal pressure but it, it doesn't it does it in a light way so that it's not the focus of the book but it's constantly underlying there and there's, there's several times where i have a character about to say something extremely abhorrent but i don't go all the way saying it because i'm still trying to maintain that 1950s wholesome veneer but you just get hinted yeah. at but basically yeah. But it, yeah but it's showing that off screen this is what was going on Mm. And like in Virgin Night, for all the teenage hijink slapstick nonsense, Caleb goes through some horrific acts of homophobia in that book. Yeah, like he's viciously attacked for being gay multiple times, including by his own father. Yeah. But then it's a complex relationship with his father as well, because his father doesn't hate him, but he doesn't like this about him either. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult to write that nuance and not just completely go into making a character completely evil, but still make them a bad guy kind of thing. Yeah, have a, a flawed, character. Yeah, yeah, a flawed human being. And Cotton Candy deals with several really dark issues, like characters who have been self-harming, who have eaten disorders, and identity, like things about themselves are not comfortable with identity issues. And... This is, these are a lot of issues and things that I've either had some experience of myself or people very yeah. close to me have, mm-hmm. and yeah. they're, they, they've snuck in, but they're they're very much under the layer of fun. Yeah. I, did a, I had a reader one point, or a friend um, who was reading an early version of Cotton Candy, was like, how dare you? I was laughing at the cartoonish ultraviolence, and you go ahead and hit me with this? Yeah, that caught me off cost. guard. Yeah, go from fun to something completely serious. You're like, oh. Um, 
before we move into the movie, are do you have any projects that currently that you're working on at the moment, or are you just in between projects? So the next thing people should be seeing from me is I have a novel coming from Darklit Press, who the publisher of The Sacrament, where my short, my sort of noirish short story, A Brother's Love, is featured. Yeah. Okay. So this is part of their upcoming pirate horror series. And it's my book called of Black Flags and Devil Births. Black Flags and, and it, Devil Births? Okay. Yeah. So it's essentially of what if the comedic pirates of Pirates of the Caribbean washed up in Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so, I'm sold. I'm sold. Take yeah. my money now. Yeah, so it's a bunch of pirates and Navy officers. Um, starts off with a big battle between them. Starts off with a bang. And they end up on a strange island inhabited by dinosaurs and other inhabitants that aren't exactly friendly. And it, they end up on like it's a sort of sprawling, almost not quite, it's, it's not much, it's not any longer like word count wise than Cotton Candy Massacre Virgin Night, but it feels it because there's a lot more characters and there's a lot more roots through the book and they're all flowing their different ways to come together at, at crossroad points. But it's a big, fun, takes itself seriously but also kind of silly i like the idea of jurassic yeah. park but taking place in different time periods yeah and then i got i'm currently working on the third book in the october society series for this halloween so i'm about two two a third of the way through the first draft of that and is that your aim to be done by halloween uh, yeah it should be and do you have a uh, release date for the blackbeard Black Flags and Devil Birds should be May, but there's no date set yet. Okay. Um, I also should have something in August that I've not announced yet. All right. All right. Um, but it's uh, it's going to be f- 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 fun. If um, the people have read books, they'll know what that means. We'll just put to be announced for right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Be on the lookout for it. I think, be on I think the lookout for something. Yeah. Most people will guess what it is. There's a of all the books I've written, one book stands alone as 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 what I'm associated with and has been quite successful for me. So it was it was inevitable. That's the only hint you're getting, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cotton Candy Massacre, like I said, will be in the upcoming giveaway that we're organizing. And other than Amazon, where can these people out there find you? It's mostly Amazon. I think some of my books are available for Barnes and Noble. Um, I'm on Audible. Cotton Candy Massacre is on Audible. And if you guys want, I'll throw in an audible code for cotton candy. That would, that would be amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, most yeah. of my stuff's on, on Amazon. See most accessible. Uh, there are books available through um, Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah. Cotton candy massacre is on God lists as a e- ebook form. Yeah. And currently audible has the cotton candy massacre with uh, my zombie sweetheart currently in production nice excellent so you're here to hear everybody so definitely on amazon and uh on the giveaway so be on the lookout for that so dave when you uh when you talked to christopher here about the movie review you told him that we were doing intentionally bad movies correct yeah we talked about one of his first choices you had loved was tremors You, you think tremors is a bad movie no, it, before I told him, he, it was one of the movies he wanted. To oh, oh, I thought you were saying that that was going to be his original thing. I was like, oh, man, we were getting along so well. I think we all love Tremors here. Yeah. 
I, I was going with Tremors because one of the narrators for my books had said that he views my books kind of like Tremors and that it's B-movie material, but taken seriously. That's a great way to put it. That's yeah. a very good way to put it. Or the uh, way my girlfriend says it, daft ideas with uh, daft ideas told in clever ways. Well, I'm going to have to see if we can get him uh, back for next season when we do movies that we could watch over and over again, because Tremors was definitely going to be on my list. Yeah, review Tremors. <laughs> uh, but no, um, I'll just say this is the opposite of Tremors. This is uh, this is popcorn from uh, what, 1991. My, two things happened in 1991. I was born and popcorn came out. <laughs> so, well, three things. I was also born. So And Dave was shortly right after me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We, 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 you kind of hinted at it a little early on, but why popcorn? Popcorn is one of the earliest examples I can think of of meta horror, meta slashers. And I love meta horror. Like, my books are all meta horror, like yeah. self referential, aware, aware that horror movies exist, aware that other horror movies exist. Characters mm-hmm. are sometimes aware that they're in a horror movie or will at least suspect, will, will behave as though they are. Like, don't you yeah. watch scary movies? Like uh, I've, yeah. I've got a line in an upcoming book where a character's like, nope, nope, I ain't going in there. I've seen the Jason Voorhees movies. You're all on your own. <laughs> uh, Smart. You, you know, I just thought of the perfect way to describe this, Dave. Yeah. Um, this movie is like um, Scream if it was directed by William Malone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it was directed by the guy for, who did Fear.com, if he, instead of Wes Craven, he... Uh, he did scream because you have to have the movie references and all that yeah. business. But in short, for those of you who don't know, who haven't had the privilege of watching popcorn, um, it'll sound a lot like a movie that me and Dave just got finished reviewing last night, Urban Legends. The one sentence sum up is a killer is killing off a bunch of student film, a student film group. Yeah. At a film festival. But anyway, as, as you were saying, why this one and why is it ranking on your what what makes this one kind of stand out in the whole bad movie universe uh it's uh do you, you guys from familiar with joe dante's matinee wait the no. name is familiar um that that's a really good movie that that that's like a sincere and sort of heartfelt coming of age take on this type of like on some of the stuff this movie does mm-hmm. but essentially this is like a like a stab happy take on that kind of movies it's like a it's like an 80s 90s slasher but with almost 1950s kitsch sensibilities yeah yeah like you've got you've got a grandiose villain who monologues who like would totally be someone like vincent price or peter lore if it was made in the 50s yeah yeah like playing him it's it's kind of like like the the, the, the structure of the film, like, is most of it takes place during this, like, film, horror film festival where they're screening three fake 1950s era B movies, 1950s, 60s era B movies, complete with the gimmicks that, like, William Castle used to used to do. So you've got, like, a fake yeah. movie called Mosquito where a giant mosquito will fly I, across the top of the audience. That, yeah. that whole setting is totally my style. I would have loved to go to something like that. Um, I would go to something like that. If I would spend it was a, I would spend a day at a movie, the old movie theater, getting shown old B horror black and white movies. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they're, they're such a I'm such a fondness for them. For them, T H E M capital letters. Yeah. Oh, oh, ha ha ha. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know. It's 
one I vaguely remember seeing when I was younger and didn't really see it properly again until it came out as part of 88 film slasher classics collection. Mm-hmm. And I was always instantly drawn to the idea it was like a horror movie that takes place in a theater and it involves other horror movies. And I mean, that's a that's a movie nerd like wet dream, as they say right there. That's a great, yeah. uh, you know, in a horror movie. Come on, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, and even the main character, and that she's like that. She's like, "Oh my god, this is starting to turn a horror movie, isn't it awesome?" Like, yeah. she, she's like, at first she's weirdly de- delighted. Yeah, that, that she thinks murders are going on is very, it is a very inconsistent film because like it almost feels like there's three different, four, several different movies worth of plot going on at once, and then they just picked one at the end. Now, Dave, you hadn't seen this before, not until yeah last night. So I was the I had seen this months ago when I first got Shutter and I started doing little mini reviews and it was just all brought back to me all the uh, all the mixed emotions that I was feeling. <laughs> yeah. But what did what did you first initial thoughts on what you thought of it? Like the the characters are not good characters and the storyline isn't all that great. But it was a fun movie. It's a fun movie if you want to make fun because. We were thinking of doing a – this is something we haven't really asked any of our guests yet, but we were going to do a panel for the finale to go over what makes a bad movie, a, a bad horror movie. Do you all want to try to deconstruct this the way that we would do that? Yes. Yeah, so what makes this movie bad? What makes – what what? because I think that the reason why – it's it's a generic script. Just they're in a horror – they're screening horror movies and a killer's basically on the loose killing people within the audience and the yeah. other people. I mean, it's it's a slasher movie. They're just people getting offed. But what 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 didn't they do right? Well, in this movie, some of the line delivery is so like weird and funky. It just kind of sounds like they were almost like they read the script in the room and just kind of implanted it no, over the film no second takes just yeah just one take and let's move on yeah and then like we'll fix this line later and have them redo the line not not that you're really necessarily missing anything because the dialogue's not necessarily anything to write home about anyway yeah it's a slasher with a bunch of annoying characters you know running around you're not missing any award-winning dialogue when uh christopher said that he was a movie nerd it made me understand why he chose this one because this could have worked for this could have worked well for movie nerds if it was done right with all of the random movie jargon that they drop same same thing with urban legend like mise-en-scene or yeah or uh it was movie talk but in the way that nobody movie talks sorry i just rambled for like what felt like three minutes trying to get that point out i was trying to find the exact note that i wrote that i could not find so i i just my, my lips moved and my and words came out for the last like minute so uh but christopher so where, where where do you think they dropped the ball in this one i would say there's like a there's there's almost like too many plot lines or things they're trying to do without a deep enough commitment to any one of them mm-hmm. and it results in a muddle so we start off with like almost a Suspiria wannabe-esque visuals with the Possessor film and yeah. is this to do with this creepy film director that um, burnt down the theater murdered his family and stuff and then as the kills progress there's like a mixture between kills that are themed 
to the B movies on screen, which I all I enjoyed. And then there's ones that just happen because we got to keep the body count rolling. Yeah, I think for me a better um, way to be the William Castle homage that they wanted to do was to like triple down on the B movie stuff have all the kills tied to the b movies mm-hmm. and have yeah. and really bring the audience in the like in the theater in on the kills like they think it's all part of the show more so than the film does like it eventually does do that well kind of like with the, with the mosquito like using that mosquito who impaled that guy yeah uh, part of the thing and i get he could have paraded his body around and people just would have thought it was a decoration yeah like he would have he could have had all the dead cast like dead like victims out in that theater and people would think they were props and then yeah and then you get to have good reaction shots at the end when people realize no there's dead bodies around here yeah and then it could there you you could have worked in a bit of commentary on like not not necessarily commentary i'd agree with but you know commentary about like horror consumers like Mm -hmm. because we watch some abhorrent stuff and then we go to sleep like babies afterwards yeah yeah like you could definitely make a definitely make some kind of statement and plus the characters in this movie, not only are they like, they don't stand out at all. It's hard to remember the characters in this movie. Plus, yeah. they're like the stereotypical horror cast, but some of them just seem out of place. Like, you got the one character's like a stereotypical girl you'd see in an 80s slasher film, like the one who gets around, and then like one of the guys talks like he's a stereotypical like, bad boy douche, jock or, yeah, douchebag for like the 60s and 50s horror film. And the main had, character seems like she's like Lydia Dietz. Yeah. <laughs> From Beetlejuice. So it's like these characters aren't really meshing well together because they they're all like seem like out of time and out of place. I kind of wonder what it was like with the original actresses. Like they shot for like three weeks with someone else before she was brought in. Really? Oh, the, the main actress? Yeah, there was it was a different actress and a lot of the scenes like weren't really changed. Like they 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 filmed because they kept scenes that had already been filmed, from what I understand, and mm. they filmed like cut-ins for her. But there's other scenes where like other people are acting, and she's in this that that character's in the scene, but that actress. Uh, so that's why it seems so disjointed sometimes. Yeah, she's so, just they, in the back listening to her tape recorder. They brought like a different. There's like a different director came in as well after they started too. So it it was one of those like troubled productions. Uh, one of those like cursed film productions where everything was going wrong. Yeah, I know yeah. that the Tom Villiard, like you know, the antagonist, was like secretly battling AIDS at the time, so he's had a lot uh-huh. going on while he's oh. working, and he passed away not long after that film. And he's easily the best thing about the film. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's got this scene chewing like was that Toby carry, like energy? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's it's weird though because I think I said in my initial review that. Because it's take pl- it takes place in a movie theater, and they had made these fake nineteen fifties like B movie kind of thing. I actually wouldn't have mind seeing watching the mosquito or the watching sticks. the mosquito. Yeah, like, well, they're the best. They're the character for me. The best characters in the film because so much love was put into those. Yeah, they uh, put a lot of like, oh, this that is where your like film appreciation, movie nerd thing shined the most. There was like talk on some of the. The, the actors were saying that the director was so preoccupied making those mm-hmm. that he just wasn't paying attention to the main production. That's what it felt like because yeah. it, it was very cheesy in the best possible way. You could have made, I, 
a full black and white, cheesy black and white monster horror movie, complete with all the cheesy gimmicks. I bet it would sell really well right now. I bet yeah. people would love that. Joe Joe Dante's matinee, like it's a similar film. It's not a horror film, but it's similar in the concept of it's like a William Castle esque figure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it, that film features primarily one fake D movie called Mant, but Man turned into a mantis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, they had the they, they were they were kind enough to on the special features for the Blu-ray, yeah, like Arrow Films Blu-ray, to include the Mant film pieced together from all the scenes shown for it. Oh, that's film. amazing. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So you could, yeah. so it's not like feature length, but you could watch the Mant film. You could and you, almost you could wish, watch it. Know what happens? Yeah, I kind of wish they would do that. That eight, eight films had done something similar to this, like extracted the or found the originals for those. Those three B yeah. movies include, included them. The, the mosquito, the amazing electrifying man, and um, the stench. The stench. stench. Yeah. Um, it's complete with awful, awful dubbing. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. But the one bit that always sticks to me every time I watch it, that I love is like it's, it's when they're watching the Incredible Electric Man or Shock Man, the the second one, yeah. and she she goes to like kiss. Is it that one? Or is yeah, it that where one she goes to kiss them. No, it's Mosquito where she goes to kiss him. She goes, kiss me, dick kid. You just hear one guy in the audience go, what? No. <laughs> oh, the background, the background commentary yeah. from the audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a mystery science theater type vibe to it. Yeah. It's so much fun. As wild as they ended up being, they were still way more well-behaved than I thought that they were going to be for a thing of like college students going to see like unsupervised at a abandoned movie theater. <laughs> like, Especially like, when the power went out. Yeah. Surprisingly, even though a guy got knocked out, like in the in the audience, people were pretty well behaved more than I thought. I thought you would have had just a whole pack full of drunks, like acting a fool. Yeah, the guy getting knocked out is not that shocking. I mean, I'm from Glasgow, so that's a regular occurrence. But oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, you like the music though, don't you, Dave? Yeah, the music I, I thought was kind of catchy at times. I think that's the yeah. that what's that's what makes a bad movie is when you see sprinkles of stuff that's actually okay. <laughs> it, yeah, but if you only have sprinkles of it, it makes the bad stuff stand out even more. Yeah, I think the music was that might have been like part of the conditions for filming. Because mm-hmm. it was like filmed yeah. in Kingston, Jamaica, and I've got to imagine that like there was some sort of agreement where like, okay, you can film here, and it will, we won't make you pay taxes or whatever, but like feature some like local artists or whatever. So that's why there's like reggae music in the film because these are like local artists, and it's also why um I watched like a an interview with some of the cast and crew. Huge swaths of the audience are all wearing masks the whole time because mm-hmm. this film's supposed to be set in like small midwestern u.s town but all the extras were jamaican you know so uh, they were like they were like nobody's going to believe this is like small midwestern town yeah. so that's why people yeah. were wearing masks a lot that actually well it's mid- not midwestern uh west coast because i think the college is uh university california oh, uh, oceanside or something like that yeah that she went to that actually it's makes me bit. makes yeah. me feel a lot better because i just wanted a reason right. <laughs> i just i i like reggae and ska music but i just fell so out of place i just wanted a reason why <laughs> yeah I, I, i'm not saying anything official but whether it was like a requirement or like a, a deal they made or it was maybe just that that there was the local musicians that they could afford yeah mm-hmm. they were like they were like okay i find a local band so it's like a local reggae band that was it it's weird like it's you yeah. see movies like that and what is it slaughter high mm-hmm. is made in britain it's very clearly a british high school like a British school yeah. gets portrayed to be an American slasher movie. You know, no, this looks like every school I've ever been in. 
What about the big bad guy? This oh, of, I'm of a the fan. movie. I'll say I'm a fan. Um, and as improbable as he has as his face swapping technique was, because God damn, that would revolutionize Hollywood productions if they could get makeup effects done in a matter yeah. of seconds like that. Like Dark yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a Machiavellian dark man with like paper thin. Well, then slasher movies don't really need much more motivation other than somebody tried killed me slash harmed me slash hurt someone. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Again, urban legends that is exactly the reason why the killer was doing what he was doing. Yeah. You, you, uh, your family wronged my family, so, so I'm uh, taking it out on you. On you. So yes, I mean, yeah. When it came, when it comes down to reasoning, if it's a, a slasher movie, you. You can forgive, like, like. All right, well, you you just want some kind of reason. Yeah, but what do you guys yeah. think of the possessor or <laughs> the possessor? Or <laughs> I think the film could have done without that. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I'm, 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 I'm not really a fan of like trippy type of horror. Yeah, like sometimes it's hard to kind of get into. So that's not that's just not my style. Like what, yeah. what I would like. So that I think. I've, kind of found it a little off-putting and it felt because it feels at the start of the film it's going down like a cursed film route yeah yeah cursed object that happens to be a film type thing which would be pretty cool yeah Yeah. probably should have stayed down that route maybe like a cursed film that's what you mean when you said like things are just clashing like one of the things that ruins a movie most is when you have when you're juggling too many plates and you should just stick to one thing. It's, it's, it's at the tail end of the eighties, though, and like start of the nineties. So it's kind of like the slasher boom has is fading out, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. at that point where like movies started to get weird and try all sorts of new ways to revitalize the genre. It, it yeah. was in the two thousands that like we we've said that before, like where it was just a weird, it was yeah. a weird moment for a weird time for slashers. Yeah, yeah, like when Popcorn came out in 1990, was that like weird pocket of slashers where not a lot of good ones were coming out anymore. Yeah, sorry, like, I, think, I think I said 2000, I meant 90, yeah. sorry. Yeah, like the Nightmare on Elm Streets were not doing well. And how many times has Wes Craven saved the slasher genre, though? Like, how many times has he come back and been like, oh, here we go again? Yeah. The studio, I believe it was, it was consider, called The House That Freddy Built. Uh, I mean, yeah, saved you know, it in the eighties, and then he had to come back in ninety six and save yeah. it with Scream because he he flirted with meta horror with a new nightmare. Yeah. You could see that was sort of the way that horror, especially slasher horror, had to get smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he you could even say as far back as Elm Street, he was he was introducing mm-hmm. smarter slasher than than what dipping his before. dipping his toes yeah. in the water, see what worked. He's yeah. like it's like adding like. Flashers and killers that are savvy, intelligent, yeah. witty, fun, like the characters and the personas. And like New Nightmare was like further experiment with the idea of meta horror. And it was, wasn't like ultimately till the like pairing with Williamson and screen that yeah. like they just nailed what meta horror and what well, horror. horror. And then, yeah. then everyone just copied that for a while, diluting, diluting that like thing till like horror found a new. I'd argue maybe Saw was the next mutation of the genre yeah yeah uh, yeah that's you started seeing a lot more uh torture porny as they would say after that horror started fearing more into paranormal yeah in the late 2000s a yeah. lot of those insidious and uh conjuring paranormal activity type movies yeah this one i is, would like to see redone 
Yeah, I would love a popcorn remake. I'd be about it. It's inoffensive, but it was more disappointing than anything because the things that I liked, I did like in terms of the setting. Yeah. You just need to change a lot of everything else, though. <laughs> Setup good, execution poor. Um, kills. Uh, what do we think about the kills? For me, the kills that stuck out and were fun and memorable were the two that were specifically tied to the B-movie mm-hmm. gimmicks. Yeah. So the yes. mosquito, death by remote control, giant mosquito. Yeah. And the dude in the wheelchair who very, very quickly just assumes he's getting some kinky fun. Yeah, just for someone like, why are you so lucky? Right. <laughs> like as soon as you get handcuffed to his chair and everything, like I, he just assumes that despite all evidence to the contrary and all the times he's been trying to get some from this character, he's yeah. not been getting any. He just assumes that oh, now it's happening, and not yeah. that he's in a lot of trouble. You know, nobody like as anybody would have gone. What kind of trap is this? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and like because it's quite a time, it's quite a dragged out like death for him as well. He can see it coming, and yeah, like the audience are getting like buzzed, and you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then it just does kind of cheap out with just a wheelchair sliding away. But there's something about horror movies at this time when you see someone in a wheelchair, you know that's going to be some ridiculous. They can't run away. So, yeah. I mean, Friday, Friday 13th comes to mind. Yeah. Not the Friday the 13th game, though. The the recent one, they when they added single-player content into that, mm-hmm. and they, they did various like challenge maps that replicated scenes from the movies, mm-hmm. and they attempted to do the wheelchair scene. Couldn't do it. Because... Because the bots were like not, they didn't really code the wheelchair incorrectly. The character in the wheelchair just moves as if he's moving at full sprinting speed. <laughs> so it, it takes off like a rocket. You can't catch him. Like <laughs> that game really makes me wonder how the hell Jason catches anyone. Because without his like ability to teleport around that map, like no way. He's is slow that as hell. Is that that multiplayer game where you can play as either Jason or one of the yeah, one of the counselors? Counselors. See, I was going to get that, but I ended up getting uh, Dead by Daylight instead. Yeah. I went the other way. I played Dead by Daylight to the point where like, I was getting in trouble because I was always getting merciless victories. And, like, <laughs> people were flagging me as cheating, even though I wasn't. And like, I got like a warning on my Xbox account. And I'm like, well, I need something else to play. So I went and got Friday the 13th and did the same thing. <laughs> I need to try, I need to try like, both of those games. I've seen people They're play a lot of fun, it. Yeah. yeah. You'd be hard pressed to get a Friday the Thirteenth match that's mostly multiplayer dead, but you can play that offline, which yeah. is an advantage over Dead by Daylight, where you need to play with other people. And it's yeah, you have to play off. online. Yeah, yeah. gaming yeah. community can be toxic at times. Yeah, you you definitely. Uh, I I mute everything. Uh, Dave, did you say your thoughts on on the kills, Dave? I uh, like so you know you had your fun kills that relate to the movie, and then just your regular kills, but also. The kills kind of led to my uh, favorite line in the movie, mm-hmm. where the killer's just kind of using Tina's body to talk to him. And the one guy's like, Tina needs to eat something. She looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's probably my favorite line of dialogue in the entire movie. But go ahead, uh, Dave. Other uh, Before we like get towards like scoring and everything, any other thoughts or anything you wanted to like kind of bring up to talk about? No, it's just... Uh... I mean, really, it's just a slasher movie from the 90s. They took, seemed like they were trying to take a lot of risk and just nothing, not a lot paid off for them. 
Yeah. Again, it's it's a one that had as a good premise, but I wish uh, it was in more. Uh, it was in better hands. You want what's your? Uh, you want to give like a kind of like a final thought on it there, uh, Chris? Yeah, it sort of has this like it has the genre awareness of like more successful meta horror like Scream, but mm-hmm. like fundamentally the characters don't. So it feels like it's halfway or like a or not 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 entirely the the full formula for mm-hmm. successful meta horror. It's like you get what they wanted to do, but they didn't do it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of floundering in its ideas. Yeah. But credit for like a slasher movie, they were trying to do something a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. But also too, yeah. Yeah, if they they announced a remake for this movie, I'd probably be excited for it. Yeah, I'd watch it if it, if they tried to give it a redo because it has a cult following. I, I I would say that this is cult following status because I you know I when I watched it the first time I people have fond memories of it so yeah. there's something there. Yeah, I said my if I were to sum it up, it's like a late eighties early nineties slasher with fifties heart. The the killer and the gimmick and the reveal is pure drive-in era schlock, and I would I would like it if it leaned in more to that. Yeah. I would worry that a remake wouldn't. I would worry that a remake would swap out the fifties B movies for eighties slashers or something. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. see. Yeah, they wouldn't because the fifties B movie retro stuff. I I don't know as many people that love that stuff as much as I do. I, well, me personally, I love it. There's a planetarium that I that once a month they'll have screenings of bad like B movies like the giant claw yeah. or them or oh, stuff that's like that. That's a great movie. Yeah. yeah we, that's the one with a really weird bird, isn't it? Yes. It, it became one of my favorite movies ever because of how bad it looked. Um, but I, I love old horror movies, black and white like that. Yeah. So I enjoy those, but like you guys love those movies. It's kind of how I love the 80 slasher movies. Mm hmm. Well, I do a secondary Instagram account with my partner, Casey, uh, Tasty Trash, where literally we just watch the worst kind of movies we can find and talk okay. about how much we enjoyed them in like silly ways. So, so some of the things that like we've watched, uh, what was the recent one? We watched Tammy and the T-Rex for Valentine's Day. Oh, that, that's, <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, erotic Ghost Story, you know, the, the Cat Gracie Hong Kong movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And then we we're upcoming stuff we've got is some shot on video movies like Suburban Sasquatch and the Necrophiles. Okay. Like oh yeah, these these are the epitome of like so bad. So, so bad. <laughs> ne- Necrophiles alone, like if you just like Google that and have a look. Right, let me give it a let me give it a little Google real quick. The Necrophiles, you say? Yeah, from the it's from the nineties, early nineties. 1997 says it's an hour 12 minutes horror comedy a cannibal rapist rises from the grave as a flesh-eating zombie sex maniac uh sold yes sold i'll, yeah. I'm gonna, I'll watch it tonight. With, with with a um massive zombie boner that acts like a magnet for any woman within like half of my radius like he just follows it like like it's the compass in pirates of the caribbean it, it leads you to whatever okay so it says it's on oh Watch it now for free on Tubi. Consider it on my list of things to watch tonight. That's not even bringing in the floating um, dead baby. Yeah, I just saw that on Google Images. Oh, well, don't give away any spoilers now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the the, the the most fun about that movie is um, I bought that and it's from the Sasquatch part of Visual Vengeance. 
or like re-releasing these yeah. movies and films like um body muscle bodybuilder in hell you know, like oh that. i saw i just saw that the other month that yeah, it was so, basically a japanese evil dead yeah, yeah so they've, they've been releasing these movies and it's really gorgeous artwork like box sets with posters and stuff like that kind of doing like the what arrow film used to do with like really obscure movies mm-hmm. okay and the the fun one with the necro files is it comes with like a poster for it and also <laughs> a condom oh uh, yeah <laughs> oh, i'm looking at the i'm looking at the cover art right now yeah oh, oh there, it does say on it not, not for actual use yeah Oh well, darn. What's the point? Well, yeah. You, so these so, are shot yeah. on VHS, like shot on VHS movies, and you've got to wonder how. They, like, just if you watch Necrophiles, the amount of nudity in it. Like, how did you talk that many people into doing that? Like, honestly, I feel this. Involved in this, I was yeah. just. I felt that way when we watched Hanukkah because it, didn't I say in Hanukkah that like yeah. this has more nudity than X? Yeah, <laughs> it's like how do you and not just regular nudity like. Uh, like crawling around getting dirty in the dirt like nudity it's like how'd you talk people into like with this budget how'd you talk people into doing this but that yeah that's on tubi you hear that shutter we're flirting around uh, with some other uh, possible options we're watching this on tubi tonight yeah <laughs> you had your chance shutter maybe Sponsor us or else maybe if you we're gonna take it's gonna take some a lot of wooing to get us back to <laughs> tatty shutter yeah, <laughs> but um, scores. I guess we usually just score on a on a thirty point scale here. It goes zero to ten is a bad movie. Eleven to twenty is a okay movie, and twenty one to thirty is a great movie. So, Dave, you want to go ahead? What's what's your score there? I I probably agree with your uh, Shutter Shout score of an eight out of thirty. Eight out of thirty. Just like a, a fun bad movie. Just a fun bad movie. Yeah. What about you there, Christopher? Your final score here, what would you give it on a 30-point scale there? God, I'm not a fan of scores. Okay. Well, good or bad uh, movie, then? <laughs> uh, that, that's a difficult one for me because I like a bad movie. We do, I enjoy too. A bad movie. I enjoy a bad movie more than a good movie. Is this like? Does this rank as a so-bad-it's-good uh, kind of rating? It, it could stand to be worse mm-hmm. so that it could be better. Like, like I said, I get that. for the same for the same reason that there's like there's kernels of really good stuff in there, that there's like if it went a little bit the other way, it could be truly tragic. I I think it's like just on the cusp of that bad, but moving into the good line. So just a little bit of tweaks, it could be it has potential. I guess yeah. go either way. Yeah. A okay. little bit better focus, it could have went either way. Okay, so we'll say this was like middle of the road, but has the possibility to be really great. But uh, I was, I'm glad that Dave got to see it at least because it was going to yeah. be one of my picks. So yeah. at least I got to have Dave uh, exposed <laughs> to it. So if I reference it in the future, he'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But we're that's uh, getting close to the end for us over here at Body Bag. Um, thanks again for taking some time and, you know, nerding out with movies and book talk. No, well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, as always with our guests, it's a open invitation. If you ever feel like, if you have nothing better to do, and you're just yeah. like, yeah, sure, I'll see what I'll hop on and and, and yeah. it's an open invitation if you ever want to come back. Well, if you guys ever want to do a season or a special on the 1950s B movies, I'm I'm definitely there. <laughs> Dave, you hear that, Dave? Yeah. We might have to do that, yeah. I'm going to have to drag Dave into it because, well, he already said, like, older movies like that are not necessarily his bag. I enjoy some of them. But they're not all like Nosferatu. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 there's that as was much, not for me. As much as we try to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, we're gonna put that in the works, and we'll know exactly who to call. We'll get you on there. Uh, we'll watch them. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Blob Invasion of the Body. They're the good ones. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Or you could just get like. What was that one? It's one of the first movies to ever use squibs, and I can't remember the name of it now. <laughs> it's one of like millions of like titles from that era, like the giant thing from outer space, or yeah, Tech from yeah Mars. It's, it's something to do with like taking like a trying to create zombies, so they take like a gangster's brain and put it in this robot body and stuff. It's <laughs> that that pure like, mad science. Yeah. That's like one of the first uses of squibs to simulate bullet wounds. I think I know which one you're talking about, actually. Um, oh, all right. So I'm, I'm going to have to... Did you say you had... Did, was there a title for that one? I, I can't to, remember what it is. I have to, fi- I have to figure... It's going to bug me. <laughs> but, but I guess I'm just going to have to leave... That's how I'm going to intro our next episode is... It was that movie. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> Finally figured it out. But uh, in the meantime, thanks again for coming back or coming on the show. We hope yeah, to have thank you back. You for coming. No, and, thank you. Thank you very much for having me and the kind words. And uh, <laughs> I've been Chris Thomas with me, Broke Rider Dave. And thanks again to our special guest, Christopher Robertson. Thank have you. a good week, everyone. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Body Bag Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a comment as to what you'd like to hear us review or any horror movie topics you'd like to hear us rant and rave about. And while you're at it, you can find us on Twitter at Body Bag Pod and on Instagram at Body Bag Podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.